Welcome to Sparks and Recreation, your source for info on community events, meta-analysis, and everything Hero Realms. Part of the Realms Rising Network. Hey, 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 heroes of the realms. Welcome back to the fourth episode, A New Hope of Sparks and Recreation. I am one of your co-hosts, Matthew Jigmalinkba Rooks, and I'm very happy to be with you here today. I'm joined by my friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Tim Agent C13. Mackenzie, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, Matt. Hey, everybody listening. Uh, uh, you almost had me rolling around laughing when you surprised me with that New Hope hey. thing. Now now I'm expecting like lightsabers and stuff to happen. So You never know. As long as we don't, yeah. as long as we don't go backward into the prequels, I think we'll be fine. But <laughs> it's good to be back uh, doing a quote unquote normal recording of uh, Sparks and Recreation. As you guys know, our last two episodes have been very special uh versions of our podcast we had a great interview with the founder and creator of realms rising and roser a couple weeks ago and before that we had the creator of hero realms himself darwin castle uh these were great interviews but the main goal of our podcast which of course is to invite guests and have interesting interviews is of course to discuss the game and strategies and how to play and we're kind of looking forward getting back to those roots this episode don't you think tim oh absolutely yeah so the basic outline of our fourth episode today will be the usual we'll do our what would you do we have our main segment we have a few other rotating segments at the end but before we jump into that i wanted to use this uh intro time just to give a quick kind of uh feedback or reflection on the current um, state of the game itself. Maybe not so much the meta, but like the game. So uh, I think, Tim, you were saying it was about 10 days ago that the recent update dropped. Is that about right? Yeah, uh, I want to say it was something like that about a week and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, just for the listener, we're recording this on April 25th, uh, Japan time, which is the 24th US time. And if you're in a different country, <laughs> you can figure the rest out for yourself. <laughs> Uh, but we thought this would just be a good chance to take a snapshot of what the app is like in the current uh, beta build. And uh, about 10 days ago, we had a release that saw some changes to the UI. And I think probably the biggest splash, if you want to call it that, was the change to the borders or the colors on the cards and the change of the starting cards. Tim, what splash of color a splash of color maybe a dump truck of color is a, another way to say it. <laughs> uh and the general reaction seems to be and correct me if i'm wrong tim or if you think differently that the uh colors are a little too a little bit too much maybe a little too strong the borders are a little bit too thick a little too garish perhaps i yeah i think a lot of people have uh voiced that they're not a huge fan of it but i think a lot of that has died down too. So I think people are getting used to it and it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I think the idea behind it is good. Uh, it'll help, especially people mm -hmm. playing on smaller screens, see the colors differently, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't want to broke what uh, ain't, 
or you don't want to fix what ain't broke or you don't want to break <laughs> what ain't fixed or however that, that saying goes. And I think all of those things kind of happen if, here a little bit. If it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and That's the it. starter cards for each character were definitely not broken. Uh, so why did they try to fix them? No. Is, is the uh, honest, Honestly, I, I play on my phone for the most part, uh, other than like when I'm streaming and stuff. And so I never had a problem telling the colors in the first place. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was needed. Um, I'm starting to get used to it and I don't mind it as much. Although I would rather it was a little thinner around the edges for the faction colors, but I'm kind of used to it. And you know, whatever way they decide to go, I don't care. It's fine. The starter cards, I think just look ugly though. Now they took all the cool class, different artwork around the edge of the cards and everything and made it like this steel aluminum, you know, bolt looking thing that completely is off theme. And I, they just stand out really bad, in my opinion. Agreed. And not a fan. And the, the original starters. character art was so awesome. You know, the wizard had a scroll. Right. Uh, the ranger had arrows or, you know, whatever in the background. Yeah. Why take that out? It looks great. Anyway. And, you know, Looking right now at our show notes, we actually have a screenshot for what would you do up. And this is before the update when the cards were still in black and looking <laughs> at it so now, different. I'm like, oh man, that just looks so much better. <laughs> it really, it really did. Yeah. Look better. Yeah. But anyway, that's well, well, and also I think one of the reasons they did the colors, uh, especially for the starters was to differentiate between an action an item, a champion, all of those things easily but it'd be pretty easy to add a little banner at the top that just said that on it yeah and i think that would look better than changing the whole art of the card in my opinion because or wherever you want to put it didn't we used to have icons for those for actions and yeah there used to be icons in the corners and they took those away and i think people were like well now i don't know what it is well, but in the physical card, there's a little thing underneath the card name, a little banner that says, says what, what all the keywords and stuff. So you could just add a little bit to that there. I liked the icons as well. Know. But anyway, um, unfortunately, too, there's been a couple bugs that kind of uh, escaped through the mm-hmm. build. Uh, I know some text is not displaying properly. The Thief Smooth Heist is not working properly in that the first card you get if it's three or less, will not go to your, to your hand, which stinks for Thief players to. because that's one of the best ways to use the uh, Smooth Heist is to grab two cards to your hand. Uh, fortunately, that's just a bug and not a nerf. However... But they... Yeah, but they... <laughs> they, they did change that the market road does not refill when you get that first card. They're apparently in the... Ruin a Thandar campaign rules. They had a rule clarification that said it was supposed to work the way that they just changed it to where the market row doesn't refill. Um, but it's not in the base game rules. It's not in, in their rule clarifications on the website. It's buried in the campaign rule book. So, um, I mean, that's fine. It's a, I think that's a little bit of a nerf for the thief, but it's not, a, it's not that Big of a deal, in my opinion. It, it can make a difference, sure, but it's not huge. Especially with the boots build, yeah, where you like to 
kind of try to set up the card that's going to drop down next and then use your smooth highest. It was right. a really nice combo and you can't do that anymore. Now that said, uh, going back to the character power rankings, the thief and ranger still remain, I think at the top of the power ladder for me more or less because yeah, they just yeah. don't really have any bad matchups. I mean, they match up well in every situation. So if we see a slight, very controlled nerfs to both of those to bring them down a little bit. I think that's okay. And with the thief, that probably happened a little bit here. The ranger still needs it. The ranger is just impervious. There is no Achilles heel to the ranger except bad RNG. I think if you have bad luck, but you know, that can sink any character. So um, Tim, you know, looking back and also looking forward and also looking at the present, uh, (laughs) have your thoughts on the power rankings changed at all for the characters uh not really i would say ranger probably at the top closely followed by thief and those two with a little bit of a gap and then like cleric fighter wizard kind of in that order but those bottom three are also fairly close it's just it's going to depend on your matchups a lot more for those bottom three i agree but yeah, that's that's pretty much what I would say. Yeah, and I'm revising my power rankings. Last time, I know I said I put the wizard over the cleric. And in the subse- subsequent week and a half or a couple of weeks of play, or even more, I think, since we've actually talked about this, uh, I'm going to have to say you're right. The wizard is definitely below the cleric. The wizard just has some really tough matchups where they need desperately to get Imperial and or champions in order to sur- survive. And if they don't, they... They, they die and i'm just looking at fighters and rangers in specific yeah i mean especially so with the fighter but i think the ranger too is another one where you 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 want that maybe not as bad as the fighter match up there but it's not far off yeah. you have a couple more turns i would say yeah. and i'm speaking again from what i view as the most fun or balanced uh wizard build which uses the pure channel and you know whatever else you want to throw in there you can argue that the yeah. Serene channel, which gives you three healing and just draws one, uh, is definitely a more stable build for the wizard, and I think it is for sure across all matchups. But it also loses uh, its power ce- ceiling quite a bit, and it's just not as much fun to play because you're relying on that three healing to spam it, basically. Yeah, I've definitely lost to the, uh, the uh, Serene wizard build as a fighter or a ranger uh and the other builds not so much so i i know it's but i agree with you i don't like playing that build i think it's boring <laughs> and if i'm gonna play a wizard i want to do those cool tricks yeah and you don't like it here's the thing too with the wizard if you want to max out your econ and choose the uh, amulet and the uh, stone just to give you maximum econ you're basically sacrificing all of the fun things about a wizard you know uh, right, and right. if we go back to what Wise Wizard Games said about how they wanted to balance this game, they said they wanted to make each build or each choice viable and have different pathways right. for each character. And right now, that is not the case for the wizard. And I would argue the for fighter. the fighter, too, because you basically only have one route to take. And with the wizard, you might have, t- you could go serene, you could go pure. I think Soul Channel is fun, but you're not going to win with it uh, consistently. Um, that, that's my favorite to play with, but I definitely don't win a whole lot with it. Yeah. Uh, basically what I'm saying is, is 
better as things are now with the balancing, I still think there's some tweaks that still need to be made before the game goes to public release. And I hope, in my opinion, that Wise Wizard Games goes the extra step and really does some final balance tweaking rather than uh, than let things go as they are. That's just my personal take. What, what do you think about this, Tim? I, I'd agree. I don't think it would take a huge change or anything. And I don't think they want to do a huge change from when we were talking with Darwin in the last episode. Seems like the full release is not crazy far off. So I wouldn't expect to see something crazy happen that totally changes stuff. But uh, I mean, especially if they're pushing the Dungeons Kickstarter back and some of that stuff, which means it's going to be longer before that stuff gets in the app. Like you're going to want to make sure that you know, these classes are all balanced. Although when it goes to release, I don't know if level 12 will be the level cap or yeah, not. I don't know that they, they, they kind of insinuated that it might be like level seven or level eight or 10 or something. Uh, right. As, as the level cap, which could make a difference. So. Yeah. Well, that scares me even more for the wizard then because the wizards even crappier yeah. at their, at their earlier levels. But <laughs> anyway, uh, this is just yeah. my place to kind of say, I hope, Wise Wizard puts that extra amount of effort in to keep balancing things, especially because when this game goes public, you want this thing as finely tuned and as perfectly balanced as possible to retain these high-level players and really establish a vibrant competitive community. And if you if it's still a little wonky and it's not very balanced or you're making lots of changes after it's released, you could um, scare away a lot of really good players and hurt the player base. So I hope that does not happen. Again, just my opinion here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we don't want to spend too much time on this, but that was a good place just to kind of uh, do a little housekeeping and give up a few updated um, ideas and opinions on things. Uh, so we'll wrap up the intro here and segue into everyone's favorite segment of the show. What would you do? What would you say you do here? All right, everyone. And here we are once again for your favorite. What would you do situation? Uh, This week, we have a listener submission um, from two very good players in the realms, Birdlaw and Daly, who submitted to us a thief versus wizard what would you do scenario? Uh, Tim, do you want to do the honors of painting the situation? Uh, okay. Um, this is level four characters. It is turn three and it looks like it is the thief's turn for turn three. So they went first turn. Um, in the trade row, you have wolf form hit job, the rot Kron, the berserker, and rampage the it's level four so you have your basic character builds um going on there and the wizard's cat familiar is out it looks like the thief has played their a ruby 
a knife or both other knives and a fire gem in their discard. Okay, so their draw was the gold and the knife. That's all they have left. And then they have, yep, so they've played the ruby and four gold, so they have six trade. Yeah, and that's the main thing. And again, we will post all these pictures on Discord so you can fo- follow along there. The main thing to keep in mind, though, is that you have six gold to spend, all right? And any of these choices in the row, you can buy. Uh, you also have the option to use your uh, ability, which is, uh, what's it called again? At level four? Pickpocket. Pickpocket. Okay. Which I think is just make the opponent discard one and gain gain some life. I forget how much. Yeah, well, the base one's pickpocket. It. I, I'm not sure what it upgrades to it for. Okay. Anyways, you can look at it. And that doesn't make too much of a difference anyways. The main thing we're looking at is what card do you buy here? So again, it's Wolf Form, Hit Job, The Rot, Kron, mm. and everyone's favorite, Rampage. Tim, you are an excellent thief player. What would you do in this situation? Uh, that's tough because it's it's turn three. So, and it looks like the thief has lost a little bit of health, but not a lot. Maybe just a couple. Just a couple. Um, and so, the wizard does have yeah, the um, wolf shaman purchase. So they do have one wild card that they purchased. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of wild in that trade row. Yeah. And I love Rampage in general. Mm-hmm. One, one of the best cards. Um, especially one you don't want a wizard to get. The the one thing that that would make me not want to just up and buy rampage is the wizard basically just shuffled has their cat out and you're not going to be able to get the f- cat familiar gone so they can get an extra trade mm-hmm. there it's highly likely they're going to get be able to buy whatever they want out of the row as mm-hmm. well but with it being a lower level game the sacrifice from the rot is going to have more time to do its thing. And that looks really appealing mm. would be like the rot and then make them discard. So maybe you could keep them from getting the five or six cost card that they would get. Um, that's, but I think I'd have a h- tough time just not taking rampage though. So I think I would go with rampage, but I would think hard about this one. Yeah. And honestly, this is another one of those market rows where, like, regardless of what you do, I don't think there's a horrible choice. Mm-hmm. You could really go with any of these, and I think they're you're in a good spot. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you here. Now, for me, the thing to really take into consideration is it's a level four level four game here, and. Mm-hmm. One of my problems when I'm playing at the lower levels is that I tend to not alter my strategy. I tend to play it like it's a level 12 game, which is not a good idea usually at lower levels. You need to play different. It's a different game right. at the lower level, really. Um, if this was a level 12, I would probably also take the Rampage, to be honest. Um Wolf form is also very tempting just because you want discard with the discard. However, at this, uh, at level four, at this stage, you're right, Tim, the sacrifice from the rot becomes really, um, enticing. 
you can pull the rot, see what comes up next. Maybe you'll even get like, you know, an elven curse or something and luck out. Or at worst case or scenario, another just, rot. Yeah, or, yeah, or another rot, which is actually, if you can get two rots early. That'd be great. Because yeah. those are, they'll, you'll trim down your deck. And it, once you start comboing those, that's 14 damage a turn. If you get them both on the same turn. Yeah. Um, let me just say hit job too. Might not be a bad choice here. You get, uh, you want high damage cards versus the wizard because you want to try to kill him quick. Getting that hit job will still leave you two to use your ability or, you know, whatever comes up in the trade row next. So hit job might not be a bad choice here either. I, I actually really like that card. Um, you know, sorry no, to interrupt. Uh, that was the end of my thoughts. So. Okay. I, I do really like getting more of the mid cost cards in my deck than, than like a single expensive one. Now rampage works a little different with the, with the cycling that it does. Like it really speeds up your deck. So, um, like I would probably avoid cron hit job. I'm kind of leaning away from, cause if I want to go damage, I'm probably going to go wolf form here, but if I'm not going to spend the six on Rampage, I'm probably going to spend the three on Rot and then see what flips and make them discard or buy whatever flips. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah. I can't disagree with that, really. The sacrifice is just so valuable, especially in these low-level games with the Thief, which can sometimes mm-hmm. have a difficult time cycling through their stuff quickly. Um, because I don't think the knives are online yet, right? You don't have the knife belt. No knife belt, so, no blackjack, n- no no shadow mask. None of that fun stuff yet. So Rampage, honestly, you can never go wrong with Rampage. I mean, well, and the other thing to think of here, at this level with the thief, the heist is steals a card from your opponent. So even if you leave one of those good cards out there, you have a lot of economy to likely steal it. Great so. point. Yeah, and this is like a beautiful. Um, heisting row because none of those if they mm. oh, even if yeah. they get wolf form that's it's not hard to steal that you know even six cost cards aren't too hard right. to steal so yeah leaving some of these juicier cards for your opponent to take is actually a good idea here when oftentimes it isn't right so even if you don't take rampage and the wizard does steal it maybe you'll have it or not steal it buy it you will have a chance to steal it i think the more i I think the more i think about it i'm gonna go with rot see what flips and then either either pickpocket to make them discard or buy what flips i like it that's probably what i'm gonna do here all right i would just to go slightly different and again this would be kind of a more rush style trying to kill this wizard quickly i might Mm -hmm. consider that hit job see what flips and then go okay. what's next. But I, that's probably suboptimal here. I, I kind of agree with your situation. But I don't think, like you said, basic Kron might be not a great choice here. Because that's if you bottom deck it. Yeah, that's really the only one that I would avoid. But even that's a good card. card. Yeah. But if you bottom deck it, you're probably going to lose the game, is, is the thing. Right. But, all right. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up. Hopefully, you guys have had some interesting discussions about this on discord as well by the time you hear this and our short discussion about it hopefully gave some other possibilities for how you can handle the situation thanks again for sticking through 
what would you do? All right, here we are, arrived at the main event. Today, our main topic is going to focus around a really excellent article that our own Tim Agency 13 McKenzie himself wrote for the Realms Rising website. And this is an article called From Novice to Expert Deck Archetypes. And this is just an excellent overview of different ways to build or uh, develop your deck as you play the game in order to uh, kind of solidify a strategy and make the most out of your, your deck building. It classifies different deck archetypes, if you will. Uh, and it's a really good way to level up your game. This is not really a beginner level article, I would say. Now, it's not too far away from beginner. Once you learn the, the basics and you learn your character uh, details and other points of the game, you can graduate to this. So for this segment today, Tim, the author of this awesome article, is going to walk us through these different builds and uh, help us to kind of understand how they work, how you build them, and how they fit into the greater scheme of the game. Tim, I pass the baton. Over to you. All right. So I'm going to try not to fundle, fundle, fumble the baton. Or fondle. Off, Don't, but it sounds like I just did. Yeah, I, <laughs> I messed that up already. I just dropped that baton and now we're screwed. Um, so, <laughs> so this was uh, part of a three-part article, really, where it talked about card types in general deck archetypes and game pace and it you could read them in any order and and this one especially kind of builds off of uh part of the fighter article that i wrote where it's talking about uh like the the scrap life gain damage sort of triangle of how stuff works but this really the big thing about this was to look at how you can play without focusing on all the faction stuff. Now, factioning can be important. It can give you a big bonus, but this is looking at what these cards do, how you can put the cards together to accomplish what you want to do, which is defeat your opponent, hopefully, but how you can do that without just looking at like, oh, I've got a bunch of wild cards. I need to get more wild cards. Or I just got those Imperials. I need to get that. It's like, how can I make my deck do what I want it to do? And so um, it kind of builds off. There were, there were four different card types um, that it built off of that were, uh, you know, like aggro or damage cards. There were economy cards. There were uh, card advantage cards, which draw, cycle, sacrifice, those sorts of things. And then uh, life gain, healing, or defense, like a guard sort of thing. Discard drops into control as well, right? 
uh, discard kind of builds into the 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 card advantage. Card advantage, yeah. yeah I'm sorry, card advantage slash. Yep. yep, yep. Which can also be thought of as like a control sort of thing. Uh, it it's it's a bigger look at stuff. Controls a more of a subset of it, but yeah, yeah. Because it gives you a, more of an advantage over your opponent if you're making them discard. Right. Okay. Just like if your drawing gives you an advantage. So, anyway, so there's there's some basic archetypes. And then there's some more intermediate to advanced archetypes that build off of those. So what Matt was saying that like, it isn't necessarily a beginner article like, yes, but you could read the first like half of this article and understand And maybe you get some stuff you didn't know before, but you could take that as a very beginning player and go with it and really improve your game. And one interesting thing about this article in this series is that like it works with within the app in the digital space where it's basically all characters but it will also this is all applicable outside if you're playing without characters or 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 like in a legends mm-hmm. tournament or something or from what darwin was saying in our interview possibly in the app in the future we'll have that option so um yeah so if if that depending on how all of that works out, this may be more important than the character stuff at some it's point. It's true, you know. Yeah. At least some of it anyway. You can do you can do these builds without characters for sure. But the characters right. naturally lean into you know certain yes. types of these builds, I think. Yeah. All right, so So yeah. so let's let's kind of get into it, you know, and not just talk about what we're going to talk about, right? Uh, let's talk about the first one that's listed in the article is the defensive build. And this is loading up on, uh, healing, uh, champions, especially guards, but, but even non-guards as well. Um, and kind of that's your go-to is I'm trying to make it so that I can heal, keep my opponent from damaging me with champions. And I'm going to then buy the good cards that come out and end up winning by getting more damage over the course of the game. Yeah. And so slowing my, it's slowing your opponent down to be able to give you time to do what you want to do. And one of the big keys in this is the sacrifice. Um, And you really see this with a cleric is kind of the like, poster child of this sort of build is hey let's we got life game built in let's get some champions and let's sacrifice and we're gonna win (laughs) you know i mean it doesn't that's not exactly how it works but i mean you really simplify it and that's kind of the goal with a cleric Mm -hmm. so um but even without a cleric you can do this i've done this with a thief very effectively wizards like i've done it with rangers and wizards too it's harder with a fighter i think because you don't have you do have your shield bearer as a built-in champion that's a guard but it's the only class that doesn't have life gain and your economy is lower this is a harder build to do with a fighter yeah what what are your thoughts on this build matt okay well just you you mentioned the cleric and of course that's kind of the natural place to go when you talk about the defensive build and as we continue on there's a kind of a hybrid version of this called the champion build that you know even fits even closer to Mm -hmm. that but sacrifice definitely is the key here and you can even argue quite easily that sacrifice cards should be the top priority 
for clerics when a game starts. Even if you can get a good champion, typically you'd, you'd ignore that if you had the opportunity to get a sacrifice card, precisely in order to make your defensive build more effective, right? Once you have sacrifice, then mm -hmm. you build up with the wall, if you will, right? This is kind of another way of saying walling up. The dude wall, as Darwin puts it. Or dudette wall, as we... Uh, yes. As we, dude or dudette wall. Uh, um, yeah. But one thing I do want to say is that... Because it talks about sacrifice here, and in, in the, one of the other parts, the card types, sacrifice does way better the earlier you get it in the game. Has more time to do its thing. Get, thin your deck down and do that. So that's why getting the sacrifice early in a deck like this is important. Maybe more so than the actual like life gain or champion that the deck is kind of named after. Because if you can get that sacrificing, then you can get those champions and life gain. And you just thin down and then you buy those damage cards and boom. And you're good to go. I will say though, the more sacrifice you can get, the better your chances of winning as Cleric. Is another right. And, and, and one of the best ways to counter that is to get your own sacrifice. To hate draft them away and from And keep players. them from it. Yep. Well, and it also it also helps you if even if you're a little more aggro or, or economy build or whatever, one of these other main basic archetypes, it lets you do your thing better and it keeps them from doing theirs better. So it it's a natural kind of... Uh, foil to this build yeah and the one thing you have to be careful and we can move on to the next build after this but you want to be careful to protect your economy as well you don't want to over sacrifice all of your economy away you and one good way to do that is make sure you have a few champions that give you economy uh that's another priority for the cleric especially because once you sacrifice mm -hmm. your golds you can rely on your champions to provide that for you so the next uh, build is an economy build. And the idea behind this build is I'm going to buy cards that give me gold so that I can then buy the big bomb cards like a firebomb or a domination or Tyranor, whatever. So I can afford those big cards and I'm just going to have multiple expensive good cards in my deck and i'm just gonna beat my opponent by doing that so this is also one that it's really easy to overcommit with uh when you're buying economy you don't want to buy too much so that you're then wasting economy and it's really kind of a feel thing for when you want to stop buying that economy and make sure that you don't buy any more of it and you're just buying the damage or the healing or whatever. So, but the idea you build up this economy lead and you buy the cards until you just get enough to win. And, and these cards are better than your starters. Yeah. While avoiding oversaturation, as you're saying, and Tim, yeah. what is one of the best ways to avoid that oversaturation? If you get, uh, well, there's a couple ways, but the biggest one is getting an economy card that can sacrifice itself mm -hmm. so that you buy this like uh, Influence or Nature's Bounty are great examples. Cards you can buy, they give you that, and then they give you some damage later on, and you get rid of them so you're not keeping on seeing those cards when you want to 
just be getting damage. Yeah. And don't forget the unsung hero, Fire Gem, as well. Never underestimate yes. the power of an early Fire Gem. Yeah, nature's bounty. I, I can tell you, I've I've seen you with a wizard buy, when there's a really bad market row, buy like three or four fire gems, and then something big pops up, and you get it, and you sacrifice all those fire gems, and you just did like 12 damage to me. And I was just like, I didn't think he had anything in his deck. <laughs> yeah, and then next turn you kill me anyways so, yeah. when you drop your... Uh, right. Yeah, your, your <laughs> devastating blow on me and kill me, but... That's usually how those matches are. Uh, no, I was going to say Nature's Bounty is one of my favorite cards to see early game across mm-hmm. all classes, except maybe Fighter. And even Fighter, you might be able to be tempted by, but usually not. Uh, I think Influence, I would favor a lot more as a Fighter. For sure. Well, typically, you're not going to have four gold with a Fighter in early game anyways, right. unless you get lucky. But uh, Nature's Bounty right. is just such a great early card, uh, early game card that um mm-hmm. even if you don't scrap it and you end up into wild later can be really effective because it adds to your discard and you can pop the yep. pop, uh, sacrifice it for that four damage when you need it so all these cards are great tim let's just do let's just do one second on bribe because this is part of the economy okay. lineup you have here what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on bribe um i uh, <laughs> it depends <laughs> Bribe is one is a very like you spend three gold you get three gold is the basic ability on that card. If that's all you're looking at, it's kind of eh. it will help you ramp your economy up because then you can get three gold out of one card on a turn instead of one or two. But uh, if you can faction it and you can top deck stuff, then it becomes much better. I think guild cards in general, especially their economy cards, get a lot better when you're factioning them. Yeah, agreed. That's that's one. And Imperial is the same way. Those are kind of the two factions that have a decent amount of economy cards, and they get much better as you get more of that faction. Yeah, and that's a good kind of guideline but to think we, about. Yeah, When you see them in the market, if there's other factions also available or you already have some of them, it can be a good choice. Otherwise, it can be kind of a trap too. So Bribe is kind of one of those really good but also trappy cards, depending on the situation. And it fits Absolutely. into the economy build, I think. I also think... And, and, oh, last note on Bribe. Sorry. No, you're good. One of the great things about Bribe is usually other players don't buy it. So you can usually get it and faction it with Guild fairly easily. Uh, and if, you have, if you're playing a character like the Ranger or Wizard who can cycle quickly and or line up combos, it can, you can devastate people with it if the chances present themselves. So uh, don't sleep on Bribe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Bribe is one of those that's better than a lot of people think. Just like, I think a lot of people have come around on Taxation now, or Recruit. Mm-hmm. Those two cards in Imperial, a lot of people would not buy them. I see a lot more people buying them now. And and they can be good in the right situation. Not in every one. Yeah, totally. Whereas, like, Nature's Bounty or Influence is almost always a good card to get. Agreed, especially so. And these build yeah. and um, these fit and, into the economy build structure. This is why we're kind of framing these. We're picking these original or these uh, individual cards because they really fit into this type of build. So, so beyond the individual cards, but looking at kind of the archetype idea for this, there's a couple things you want to look out for. Besides just buying too much economy, it's too just overbuying in general. 
you don't need to buy cards just because you have the economy. If it's not going to help your deck, don't buy it. So that's tip number one. I guess tip number two. One is don't buy too much economy. Two is just don't buy too much in general. And three is a, an economy deck can really has a lot of chances to pivot into something like the defensive deck or one of these other archetypes that we're going to talk about is it's a way to build into these other archetypes very well. So Great point. And that's a great thing to say right before transitioning to the next build here. Choosing one of these builds when you're playing does not lock you into that build. In fact, especially at high levels of play, you're going to find yourself pivoting or even making hybrid style decks, depending on what uh, yeah. what opportunities present themselves to you. So don't think that you have to choose one of these and stick with it. In fact, knowing when to pivot and or uh, make a hybrid version of these decks is part of very advanced play, I would say. And, and one last thing I would like to say is uh, kind of talk on the classes that naturally do this. Mm. Thieves really do clerics kind of do nowadays especially if you build towards it i mean it's not totally but they they have one of the higher economies depending on your wizard build it can be a high economy wizard build and really do that um rangers and fighters not so much although the ranger can kind of get there depending on how you do it but really it's more thieves for sure and then the the wizard or cleric secondarily so yeah i think that's right i would say thief for sure wizard can be up there especially depending on how you build your character cleric is interesting because yeah not only what you you have with the mace gold now you have a decent starting economy but your games uh-huh. tend to last longer too which means you'll get more value out of and that's account. one thing and an economy build is much better for a longer yeah. game yeah. it's not made for a shorter game because as I talked about in the card type economy, it takes you, you buy the card, it goes into your discard, shuffles in, you draw that card that you bought with that gold that gives you more gold, and then you can buy the big card, but then you have to put it in your discard and shuffle and get it back. So it takes two decks for the card that you bought to do anything. So it takes a longer game with economy. Yeah, yeah. great. All right, let's move on to the next build. The next build is the damage or aggro build. And this is basically buying the cheap or expensive damage, but really you're focusing more on the cheap, effective, efficient damage. So uh, when I was on Realms Rising, I talked with Adam about like some some stuff about the the cards uh, that were that were really good for the cost. And I wrote an article, another I've wrote too many articles, right? But I wrote another article that that's about like the cards that give you a lot of value. And so the value damage cards like an Elven curse or intimidation or something are really great for this because they're cheap and they give you a lot of damage. So that's what this, the key to this build is, is buy the damage, play it, crush your opponent, win. <laughs> really? And this is kind of, I'm going to start this before you talk, but the, the classes that really go with this fighter is that's pretty much your only option with a fighter. Really? You can do a little more with it, but the ranger also really kind of goes here. Those are kind of their big ones. Yeah, I agree with you. Totally. There are 
uh, edge cases where a wizard can do this too, depending on what you you get early. Pretty pretty much every class but cleric can go with an aggro build like pretty early on. Yep. Yeah, I agree. If you want to. Yeah. Uh, and this is a pretty cut and dry one, I think. Uh, as you outlined, buy some high damage cards and beat up your opponent. And some characters do this more naturally than others, uh, like the fighter. In fact, I would say the fighter really only does this. This is all that the fighter does. Now, I might uh, that might be a little strong. Tim can argue edge cases, I'm sure, but the yeah the the fighter can get into like a a card advantage sort of thing, which helps the aggro damage, or they can get a little bit of a hybrid with some healing or this mm-hmm. or that that can kind of. Of course, do yeah. but still, the the aggro damage is a part of whatever deck they're playing, pretty much. And that's basically how you should lean if you're playing fighter. It's a damage aggro build. Yes, ranger as well. And you know we're gonna get into some more uh, advanced or uh, slash hybrid builds later. But the ranger is actually even a kind of a subset of this damage aggro build, the speed build, and we'll hear about that later. And sometimes and. Uh, I think we can continue moving on here, but sometimes we're going to see kind of this overlapping Venn diagram of different builds where it's the blur between one and the other becomes kind of unnoticeable. And that's fine uh, because not everything is a cut and dry fits into one certain type or archetype. They, in fact, they do bleed together and they are, there are aspects of some that find themselves in others as well. Uh, But the damage aggro build is definitely a very important one to learn for this game. Yeah. Well, you you win by getting your opponent's health to zero. Yep. You have to do damage. So, um, the next one, and in each of these four basic builds are basically built off of the four basic card types that I talked about. So this fourth one is the speed build, which is a card advantage. This is sacrifice, drawing, cycling, and discard. Kind of fits in here. Not so much with the speed build, but with the card advantage card type. So in this one, you want to get this card advantage where you're drawing and cycling and getting through stuff quickly. And then you just are going so fast, you just beat your opponent because your deck is doing what it does quickly. And and this is, I, I would say that the economy, the defense, and the aggro would be the three most basic archetypes and this would be kind of intermediate because this one depends on those other three types to do what it's doing but a lot of these cards that are the uh card advantage archetype card have one of those other basic types with it so like death threat gives you a damage and draws a card or uh, Death Touch or the Rot give you damage and sacrifice, you know. Um, Elven Gift gives you economy and cycles. Um, One card that really sticks out is Command that gives you economy, damage, healing, and a card draw. Probably why it's like my favorite card. Without factioning. But, you know. Just by itself. You don't need to Yeah, without factioning. In fact, it doesn't have a faction ability. No, it doesn't need one. So, but it has awesome flavor text. Yeah. Follow me. <laughs> um, 
So, so the idea of this is you get those cards that let you get through your deck quicker. And, you know, even if you don't have a huge aggro deck or a huge economy deck or a huge defense deck, going through it faster makes it more effective. Right. And I would say, typically, the speed build is a subset of the aggro, typically. I mean, you can do a speedy defense build, I guess, but at the end of the day, you're still going to need damage to win the game. Right. right. So right. it's basically... You could, you, could do, you could do a speedy economy deck is the right. other one. Which will then transfer into a damage deck, right? A speed aggro deck, maybe, right. basically. So, And again, maybe, or maybe you'll go from a speed build into a champion heavy build. Who knows? I mean, you can pivot and shift, and that, that right. was my point earlier, but typically... And, and the, this deck archetype is the easiest to pivot with. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Uh, the econ possibly as well, but yeah, I, I, w- I would say so. And this is the prototypical uh, ranger, I would say, right? Yep. Ranger and maybe wizard is kind of the sort yeah. of yeah yeah no I agree because you you need to win fairly quickly with the wizard otherwise you're gonna die or uh, <laughs> and you or you want to ramp up your well, damage so quickly that you can kill them before they kill you basically and you have that drawing and stacking stuff that you do with the wizard yeah. that they're really good with so and again this the speed build yeah it's interesting it's almost like a prefix what are you gonna attach the speed to because you, you can't just be speedy mm-hmm. you need something else to win as well. Um, unless you're a ranger and you can, the ranger, if you cycle enough, even just small, uh, damage accrues enough that you can win pretty easily, uh, especially if you have the, uh, yeah. the bracers, which give you that extra damage. Like you can do like small, uh, a million, um, needle pricks rather than a million paper, yeah, cuts. A million paper yeah. cuts rather than needle pricks, paper cuts. Um, um, it, it- the the perfect card for this type of build, word of power, all it does is draw cards. Yep. It does nothing else, unless you faction it and all of that, but by itself, that's all it does. That is a speed build card with nothing else. If that's the only card you got in your deck beyond your starter cards, you're not really going to win just from that card. No. Like, you need to get others. So that's what Matt was saying. So, like, there's a great example yeah. of Word that. of Power is such a great card, but it's also arguably one of the trappiest. And by trappiest, I mean you can spend six gold on it, and it n- end up not really helping yourself very much if you're not careful, right? right? But if you use it well, it can be, you know, of course, an amazing card. Yeah. And, and I think that's true with this deck archetype is, yes, you can get the card draw or the sacrifice or the cycling or whatever, to speed your deck up, but if you don't actually get good cards in your deck besides something doing that, it's not going to help you. So, so I guess that's a downfall to something like this: is you need to do more than just draw cards. Agreed. Yeah, and the ranger can fall into. You need to get a good card in there. And in my ranger play, sometimes I fall into that trap by overvaluing draw cards, rather than also realizing you need a little more damage to get you over the finish line. Sometimes, right. Yeah. Good thing to keep yeah. in mind with the speed build. All right. Well, let's keep the train running here because we have some, I don't want to say hybrid types, although they can be hybrid, but kind of more advanced level builds. Tim, what's next on the list here? So so these build off of those four basic archetypes and kind of take them a little further. So the first one that we're going to talk about is the champion build. And this is similar to your defensive build. Except for the kind of the idea of this is that there's champions that 
they have synergy with other champions. A uh, cleric especially has this champion synergy because their abilities do they get more healing and whatever with champions. But a card like close ranks. A uh, uh, a card like Varric or any of the imperial cards that let you prepare a champion all have this synergy with champions that so like rally the troops is a card that gives you damage and healing and then it factions to prepare a champion so if you have a bunch of imperial cards but none of them are champions you'll get a lot of healing and damage but you're losing that preparation of a champion part which can be huge you know so like it's all the champions can almost be like a fifth faction less so in hero realms than it is in star realms but this is still a thing here and i think it's going to be more of a thing in hero realms as we get more sets and all of that going and especially when you're playing the cleric obviously I, i would say the champions are a fifth faction when you're playing the cleric because they basically become like a currency in the game or to, uh, I think uh, Alex DeCantz's meow described them as tokens that you can use to uh, you know, trigger different things <laughs> or trigger your draw from the Phoenix Elm or, you know, from a close ranks or, or whatever. And the more, the, the more of them you have, the better they all get because then your opponent's having to spend more of their damage getting through these champions. And so the value you get out of them is better. Yeah, totally agree. Even a card like, tithe priest or street thug which is usually really lowly rated if you have four other champions that are getting out regularly that gets a lot better because then you're getting multiple turn value out of those cards totally or even just a solo um solo street thug uh that has been blessed that has been uh steel blessed i think has seven defense right is it six yeah yeah uh, something like six that. or seven it's, it's a, a lot, lot right? yeah and they add if you get a couple of those guys out yeah things are looking good for you so and and then your opponent doesn't want to let you have it out for multiple turns but then they're spending 14 damage to take out two street thugs that are going to do four damage and which you're or give you two and which you're either going to resurrect maybe or use varic to bring back or whatever and make your opponent cry and win speaking of varic right what a great the 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 prince of the combos as i called them in my combo article in champion builds <laughs> there's so many fun things yes. you can do with them check out my uh, killer combos article if you haven't because i wrote he makes like three or four appearances in that article and i devote a whole section to him talking about the cool combos you can do with varic as i'm sure all of you have experimented well, with as well but and and this is a great example of a card that synergizes with champions champions that synergize with each other but if you don't have other champions, that card is garbage. Useless. I mean, it gives you three non-guard defense and lets you ally. The ally is the only good part out of that, yeah. really. Yeah. If you don't have other champions. Yeah, but if you do, and if you do have some other necros to... to then it gets insanely good. Stuff. And if you have uh, readying tech, like from Rally of the Troops or Domination, and you can get multiple resurrections in one turn from Varric, it's fun times. One one neat thing to think about with a champion uh, build is that when you're playing lots of champions and stuff is staying out multiple turns, 
you get kind of a a shadow sacrifice because they will be out on your board and then you shuffle and they're not in that next shuffle so your deck's a little thinner and it goes a little faster too so that's something to remember i mean i'm not going to go real deep with that no there's but, a whole great but that's read a, uh decats's meow article on uh, articles on how to play clerics for that but uh, i will say though that the second uh res resurrect ability that you get at level 12 that you can choose at level 12 with the cleric is great for precisely this because you can pick out your followers from your reshuffle and make your um your second shuffle very powerful economically and uh, bring out bring out your uh, your followers to help defend and attack and stuff. So this is part of the key for a champion build. And and cleric is the poster child for this build, but like we said earlier, thief uh, and wizard, wizard can make good use of it. The wizard can yeah. out cleric uh, the cleric sometimes, the, the, depending on their economy. The same, the thief totally definitely too. can, and then. A ranger gets discounts on champions yeah. with their horn of calling, so they can even do. Although it's not usually what they naturally want to do, it can be something you can do with. A I ranger. agree, and in fact, don't really hard to do with a fighter. Very hard to do with a fighter. Although in fighter mirrors, it can be good to have um, guards up. But uh, ranger, though, don't yeah. sleep on putting champions out there. You, again, it might be counterintuitive, but just to have that extra uh damage soak and if they can stay out for more than one turn they're not clogging up your deck and helping you ramp through so yeah, don't sleep on character or champions yeah. with your with your ranger for sure good point Tim. so so the next archetype is uh what i call the balanced archetype and this is a mixture of aggro and defense so you're getting damage and then you're either playing a guard or you're getting healing so you're kind of balancing between the two in your deck. So you buy a card that heals you, and then you get a card that does damage to your opponent. And your idea is, I'm going to, a little slower than an aggro build, but I'm going to keep damaging you. But I'm also going to heal myself up enough that if you're going aggro, you don't just beat me right away. And my damage will, I'll have a little bit longer, and so my damage will get the job done. Yeah, this is great. And this kind of sums up what a wizard always has to do <laughs> in, in order to, yeah. to to do well. Because you can't just go straight aggro with a wizard because you don't quite have enough hit points. You need to heal yourself as well. So uh, this is a kind of, or at least how I kind of think about piloting the wizard uh, goes both ways, offense and defense, for sure. Yeah. Well, well, this is something like as a, person that's played a lot of fighter games that the fighter can do this decently well especially in a mirror um if it's a fighter mirror getting some cards that heal will let your damage get them done faster if they're not healing that sort of thing um also with any defensive build sacrifice is really good so it's kind of it just combines the the aggro and the defense together and you try to balance it out. So it's not super defense. It's not super aggro. It's just a good mix of the two. Yep. And, and this goes to a recurring theme. Sacrifice is your friend people, unless you're going ultra aggro or you're playing uh, fighter. If it's early game and you have a chance to get a good sacrifice card, it's usually a good idea to do so. Yeah. 
it, it from the the data I've collected in games, the the games are quicker in Hero Realms than they are in Star Realms. And I know, like in vanilla Star Realms, if you got the sacrifice, you were kind of you were going to win regardless of any. Not always, but that kind of is how it worked out. Um, in Hero Realms, it's a little less so, but your chances are much better if you get that sacrifice, regardless of what type you're going with. And and the poster child for a balanced archetype would be a card like Rally the Troops. It gives you five healing and five damage. Yeah, great card. <laughs> or something like like a like a a dire wolf or uh you know, something like that that gives you some defense and, and yeah, any strong champion so. that ha- or a guard that uh and by strong I mean has a strong attack yeah. as well and and high guard. Yeah, it's that for sure. Yeah, good explanation. So 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 then the next archetype will be the control archetype. And this, this is kind of hard to do um, in Hero Realms. One of the best ways to do something like this in Star Realms was like the the row punch or the scrap from the from the trade row, which isn't in Hero Realms at this point in time. So the only real control is making your opponent discard. Um, at least class agnostic, the only real control is making them discard. Okay. So that means you're buying wild cards, Mm -hmm. uh, wild faction, uh, that make your opponent discard. So that also means right now a control build is pretty much an aggro build. Although there is some stuff like uh, Broline, as I like to call her, or or the, what is it, Nature's Bounty. Some of those that are economy cards that do the discard. Yeah. But you're basically buying all the discard you can to make your opponent discard their yeah. stuff. I think too, just to mention, I think the, the thief obviously is, you know, naturally good at this and the boots build yes. with the thief adds a new dimension to the control because you're actually controlling the market as well. Uh, to some extent, that is the only thing besides discard that lets you do real control in the game. Um, because, you can decide if the top card of the market ever gets to the market. <laughs> and so you that gives you the options to, hey, this really good card, I can't afford it. Let's just get rid of it so it never sees the market. So my that that is basically giving you like uh Matt the Cutter likes to call it the row punch mm-hmm. to get rid of that card yeah. from the row. Although it's from the top of the right. market Slightly instead different. of the market itself yeah, it's the only thing only um but like that in the game right now yeah and it can also let you clog up the market with stuff that you your opponent doesn't want to buy too so like that that's the one class specific build that really doesn't especially with the thief having the discard built in as well just with a their killer, class killer combo. and this was popularized yeah. by uh Alex DeCatz's meow. He was the one who kind of brought, especially in yeah. the in the recent uh, stage of the game. And like Tim just said, if you can clog that market row, in fact, you want to clog it. And by clog, I mean you want a bunch of cards in the market that no one really wants to buy. And then if your opponent's not going to buy them, and you can control what's going to cycle in next, or you have access to the card to buy it for one cheaper, even it's a huge advantage, and it's a really interesting control style to play in. So then the last part 
what I call the mixed reactive build. And this is kind of an archetype and it's kind of not. This is kind of basically um, you you mirror what your opponent's doing and you change your, your deck archetype based off of that. So instead of, well, I see a lot of cards that heal, so I'm going to build a healing defensive deck. Or I see a lot of damage cards, I'm going to build a damage deck. It's, okay, well, my opponent is building that aggro deck. How am I going to counter that? Well, I need the defense, the life gain, the healing to counter that aggro and then get my own damage or that sa- they they have the sacrifice what do i you know that sort of the stuff to counter my opponent is basically what it is and so, uh, some of it is also building getting those cards like a command that are so versatile and will fit into so many deck archetypes because like matt was saying earlier there's plenty of cards that'll fit in more than one of these builds so having those cards that fit in multiple builds lets you pivot to a different build easier. And that's what this whole build is, is just being able to react to what your opponent's doing, building stuff that can go different directions, you know, buying those cards that can go different directions, and just countering your opponent to win. Building the deck that will manage their deck well. Yeah. Our pro advice here is buy good cards. <laughs> and and buy 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 the right cards to counter what your yeah. opponent's doing. And I think this is this is really interesting because now we're blurring the line between deck build archetypes and actual like play strategies or even a play philosophy. And I think the mixed reactive build is a sign of a high level player because they're constantly looking at the game state. Uh, the opponent's uh, deck composition, what's in the market, and of course your own deck composition, and making evaluations and decisions that based on that moment in time and where the momentum or where the direction of the game is going in. And being able to pivot and react and choose cards that are best for that situation is kind of the, the hallmark of, of this idea. And the, the best early cards to get for a deck like this are those cards with the card advantage type that let you draw or sacrifice or cycle that will speed up whatever other build you're going to. So you buy those cards that make your deck do its thing better. And by the time you see what your opponent's doing with their deck, you buy the cards that counter it and then they're doing it faster. That's a really good way to do it. And if they're draw, you're not clogging up your deck. Yeah, they're invisible. They're invisible cards, right? right? So you're kind of maintaining this neutral status of your deck that you can uh, shift into different directions later. And the other real thing that's important for this sort of archetype is knowing how effective certain cards are in certain points in the game, like the sacrifice being so good early or the economy being good early, but not good later. Like, not buying those cards if they're not going to be effective. So if it's, if the game's going quicker, you're not buying economy, which is only going to slow your deck down, you know, like that sort of idea. So anyway, um, again, we could go on forever, but we want to continue on with the show. So we will. And, but 
the other thing that we're going to do is in our remaining segments, especially the upcoming segment, which is going to be um, card talk. Uh, we're also going to be talking about skills and build lab. We're going to try to tie these back into the archetypes a, a bit as well. So we have this theme for for the episode. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for walking us through that awesome article. Once again, go back to Realms Rising, the website, hit the strategies section, and you will find this awesome article from Novice to Expert Deck Archetypes. This is my boomstick! Welcome to Card Talk. This is what is actually your favorite segment of the show, not everything else that Matt says is your favorite. Um, today, we're going to talk about starting hands for the various uh, character classes. So we're going to talk about kind of what we think are the best and worst starting hands for these and what cards make those up. So we're not analyzing the three cost cards and talking how they compare we're comparing the cards in your starting decks what are the good ones to get and what are the bad ones to get and the way we did this as we're looking at your player one turn one this is the best or worst stuff that you could have so i'm going to start off with the fighter um since i play a ton of have played a ton of fighter uh, the worst thing you can kind of get in your starting hand as player one is get the shield bearer, a single gold, and your throwing axe. Granted, you can play your crushing blow, devastating blow, whatever it's leveled up to, and get a draw from that axe and maybe do some other stuff with it. But that's like the worst possible thing you can have. Usually you want to have at least a couple gold or you want a bunch of damage. And this just kind of doesn't do any of it. Um, the best starting hand, I would say, and this, some of these best starting hands can get a little tricky because it would be like your, your jagged spear, your throwing axe. And if you're at level 12 and you have the armor that gives you a damage right there, you're already drawing. Uh, but then if you have the build with the sharpening stone, then you're going to get two draws out of those three cards and you could draw your long sword or another weapon that gives you damage. Like if you had the double bladed ax, one of those would be the card you want to draw and a Ruby to let you get your, uh, uh, shoulder crush off or get, you know, uh, an elven, uh, a spark or elven gift or something. So, yeah. and this is when you're the wizard and the fighter does this to you. And it goes to you at turn two and you're at like 31 health and you're like, what the hell just happened? This is, yeah, that basically just outlines the best starting hand with fighter. Yep. Well said, Tim. I have no um, arguments there. All right. Nicely. Yeah. Let's transition <laughs> into the wizard now. And one thing I want to say here too, is it's interesting that all of our worst hands are obviously as first player when you only have three cards in your hand, because that's, it means you have a higher chance of pulling just a crap hand. Now, it's mm -hmm. also interesting because I have heard people say that the first player has the advantage. You want to be the first player because cards you buy typically end up entering the game or seeing action sooner. Now, whether that's true or not, I think is an, another interesting discussion. Uh, but 
typically all of the worst hands happen when you're the player one. So, which I think is something to note. Um, okay. So let's talk about the wizard. Now I, th I remember a long time ago, I initially described this situation as the turd sandwich on discord, I think <laughs> where you have three cards in your hand and they are the familiar cat, your staff and ignite. All right. Uh, this basically means you are not going to be doing much of anything this turn. If you have the robes, if you're level, uh, whatever that happens at, I think it's level nine uh, or later, yeah. and you have the robes, at least you can stash one of those cards away. Typically, I would probably do the cat because... That's um, what I was thinking. Because your cat's just going to die without giving you anything, unless you've already been damaged and you want to heal or something, but yeah. Uh, this is just a horrible starting hand, and it usually means bad things for the wizard. Although, the good news is your next hand should be a lot better. Uh, or at least you'll have gold <laughs> to spend on stuff. Uh, for the best hand for the wizard. Now, this is interesting. Uh, I would typically say you want the amulet early. The silver, silver skull amulet. Uh, if you have your spell components as well. Just those two cards alone will let you buy a cost for action. Uh, plus, if you have um, the uh, alchemist stone in your deck, now you're up to six with just three cards, right? And if you have, if you're lucky and you have two other goals, you can buy, you can even buy a, a firebomb or a domination uh, turn one. Well, well, as player one, you would get to draw one more card with that silver skull amulet if you want. Also, to. yeah. So, so even with just those three cards, you could draw a fourth which could be your ruby, which is great. You a seven coster. Yeah. And again, it depends on what's in the market. Uh, if you have six gold, but everything costs eight, uh, then of course you're not going to be happy. And that's when you use your uh, robes or you channel, uh, hopefully heal a little bit if they hit you your first turn and uh, stick whatever you drew into your robes. But for the wizard, in my opinion, this type of early economy lead with also the ability to possibly channel and or burn the, the amulet for an extra draw really helps you to get a nice card and it gets you closer to actually seeing that card hit play because one of the things a wizard does best is cycle through their deck. Uh, and that's why I always say when in doubt channel uh, because channeling over the course of a game really adds up and cycling through your deck as many times as you can is a good thing. And uh, being able to do that, if there's nothing good to buy, even is a good idea on uh, turn two sometimes. So I didn't mention men in the best hand, but if you only have one ignite or just the staff, you can robe it and save it for next turn and then combo your draw, which is always a good thing. If you can combo your two ignites and staff on your first deck, that's always a good thing for the wizard. And mm -hmm. if you can't do it, and the only time you can't do it is if you get the uh, staff and one of the ignites in your first hand and you don't get the other one and you don't draw it. That means you're not going to get that extra draw in the first turn. So um, anything that lets you set up and draw everything that you can with the wizard early is a good, is a good start in my opinion. All right. Well, I'm going to pull out the thief here for uh, starting hands. And I would say the worst starting hand as a thief would be, Two throwing knives and a gold. So yeah, you get a little decent bump of damage, 
you don't have any draws. You don't have enough to even play your, you know, upgraded pickpocket, misdirection, whatever you've upgraded it to lift. You can't do that. And so you're just kind of, you know, like, and then if you've played two of the knives, you're not comboing all three together. If you have the knife belt, you're not getting draws from multiple knives in a turn or anything. Just really sets up that first deck to be slow and not that great. Um, I would say the best would be, there's a couple, I, I, I wrote this part in the notes for the episode and I kind of debated how I would put it, but really getting a bunch of economy is your goal. But a great way to do this is if you can get two of your knives in your knife belt and then you draw either another knife or your, if you have blackjack, that sort of stuff. And then you're drawing a couple of rubies out of those cards that gives you trade. And then especially if you have, if you're at level 12 and you either have the, uh, the free fire gem ability, or you could buy or heist some cards into your hand like that. The thief gets really complicated when you add all those abilities and you're, if you shadow mask or boots, like all that stuff makes it super complicated, but really you want trade and your draws to speed that deck up early. So getting the knives in the knife belt and drawing into your trade is probably the best. All right. Um, that's pretty good for the thief. I'll move on and I'll bring up the ranger next. This is one of my favorite classes to play. Uh, I also remember bringing this three card worst combo up on discord. I think I described it as the poo poo platter. This is where you have two arrows and a gold. All right, which really is just the most depressing thing. Uh, because even that if that might can, be the worst starting hand in the game, it might be. Now, here, now there are a few ways to, um, to, uh, you know, make this better and to improve the situation. If you have a, uh, one of the tracks that only costs one, which is the, I forget the name of them now, uh, but one of my favorites is the, scry three discard two uh track Mm -hmm. which only costs one you can actually still use your uh tracking so i mean that's one good thing and this is one of the great things about the ranger even their really bad hands you can sometimes still do something with the other thing about this is uh if you don't get to use your two arrows and they go into your discard your next turn you could possibly use your snapshot ability to grab both of those arrows out of your discard mm-hmm. and use them on your next turn for extra two draw, especially if there's a really good card you want to try to, to buy in the market row and you need that extra draw to get, you know, unless there's something you really, really want, I wouldn't recommend burning your snapshot uh, anyways. But if there's a really good card that you know you can get, it, it is worth it. But uh, The best ranger starting hand, I think, is when you have one or two gold, you have a bow, an arrow, and the quiver, assuming you chose the quiver. And this is because you can, um, depending on your track build, you can uh, activate your track, hopefully hit one of your um, arrows in the scry, discard it along with whatever else you don't need, and then you use your quiver to pull it out and uh, add it to your hand, which is great. So if you can, if you can use your quiver your first turn, that's awesome, basically. That's, in my opinion, the, one of the best starts for the Ranger. 
so we have the cleric. Um, what I would say here, uh, kind of the worst would be a follower, the ruinos, if that's what your build has, and uh, either a single gold or like the the ever burning candle would kind of be the worst cleric, in my opinion. So I think you know the cleric is interesting because depending on the build you choose. They can actually rebound from bad hands better than some of the other classes, I think. Uh, what would you say is the best? For clerics? <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, here I would say two followers. All right. Uh, and then, depending on what you want beside, besides that, uh, you can have the prayer beads, uh, which is great, because then you'll get... Uh, and if you're first player, the prayer beads don't matter so much because you haven't been damaged yet, but... Um, if you can get two followers out turn one, even if you don't bless them, and typically I don't, will not bless them right away. Right. Because you want your opponent to kill them and give you that draw. Or if they, some um, savvy opponents will only kill one of those followers, even if they have extra damage and just that, let that damage kind of evaporate uh, in order to prevent the uh, cleric from getting the draw from the helm, which is a good move sometimes. But then your opponent just wasted five or six damage. Uh, which is yeah. also a good good thing for you. So getting two followers out early is always good. Or you could go greedy cleric and hope to get your your prayer beads and a bunch of gold. And you could get up to six gold if you're lucky. And you could buy Liss if Liss is out there or you know any other good six cost card or less and uh, start out that way. So um, I think the cleric is interesting because they might have a kind of a wider range of good starting combinations than some of the other classes. I'm sure there, and I hope there are discussions on this on the discord for stuff that we're missing, because if you, you could put a lot of time and thought into this and come up with better examples, I bet. And I hope you guys do on the discord and uh, talk about this. So bring up this. Yeah, because uh, I would love to learn what you think is better or worse than what we, we have thought of. So yeah. yeah, good. And I think it's also worthy to note really quickly that the best hands we talked about here kind of all fall into these certain deck archetypes that we were talking about earlier, right? So just quickly going through the, I'll do the two that I did, Tim. Uh, the wizard, if you can get a lot of uh, economy right away and or cycle, you're going to help with your speed balanced type of, or even reactive type of deck. With the ranger, also, you're going to want to activate your tracking, your draw, and also hopefully get some damage uh, and activate your hunter's cloak, or, or uh, if you have the glo the bracers, get more damage. Basically, just get that speed aggro up and running. What mm -hmm. about the other the other archetypes? Okay, uh, I mean, with the fighter, you're putting out metric ton of damage, and and that's what you're wanting to do there with the ideal hand. With the thief, you are getting the economy, and especially if you can smooth heist and that sort of stuff to really take advantage of that economy to really I guess if they're less than if they're three or less it's also a card advantage type mm -hmm. thing going on with your Definitely. ability to get those straight to your hand so like all of that the thief would be economy basically with maybe possibly card advantage depending on how the row is and then the cleric we kind of had the two different types of best hands. One is either you're going economy or you're going def defensive to start off. Yeah. So 
that's kind of how that goes. Yeah, that, and it's interesting. This fits in perfectly with those archetypes. It tells you that right from the get-go, right from the opening of the game, you want to be thinking about the trajectory that you want to take your development into with with this character's deck that game. So, and this is a nice mm-hmm. little exercise to to figure that out. got skills to pay the bills our next segment is the skills to pay the bills and in this segment we are going to talk about the ranger ability snapshot what snapshot does uh once per game you sacrifice the card you can uh add up to two arrows from your discard pile into your hand and it lets you draw a card. And you can stun a champion. So the primary ability is stun a champion, I guess. Then it's the draw two arrows from your discard into your hand and draw a card. Yeah. And I think that's the order that it happens. Or actually, I think if you have arrows in your discard, it'll ask you if you want to do that first. Or does it ask you the champion first? I think the champion does first. It might be the champion first. And then it'll ask you if you want to take arrows out of your discard. And if you do, then it'll draw. This is an awesome uh, one-use ability um, in, the, in the game. And we've already mentioned it earlier, but there's different ways you can use it. If you want to be conservative and save it for a really nasty champion that your opponent might drop, or if they have a champion already uh, that they've bought that you know is coming out later, you probably want to save your snapshot for that. However... If you end up in a situation where you have two arrows in your discard and there's something really juicy on the market row that you can probably get if you have the extra draw, it's worth it to use your snap snapshot. Because you can basically get draw three if you have a bow and two arrows in your discard and the third or draw from the snapshot itself. I, I have used snapshot just for the card draw when I am like one card mm-hmm. short to get a great card out of the row or to one damage short or whatever of activating my hunter's cloak to be able to get the card that I want. I don't like it as much when that's all I get out of it is the card draw, but it can still be really valuable just for that. If it lets you get a really great card in your deck early and keep it away from your opponent, it can set you up to win just from that. But it's even better if you can draw the two arrows and if you can Stun a champion, draw two arrows, and draw the card to get that. It's amazing. Yeah, you should almost just do it at that point. If you're going to get all of those things from happening, you almost should just do it because it's so you get such high value out of it. I will say this, though. Using that snapshot, as you said, even if it's just for that draw, if you're just one shy, one gold shy from buying a rampage or whatever, and you know that Mm -hmm. burning your snapshot will get it, do it. The reason is because the ranger can often snowball uh, into a really quick lead in damage and draw that your opponent can never recover from or never catch up to you in time. And if you have a chance to do that, do it. Don't look back. Go for it. <laughs> Don't worry that you lost your snapshot because you just picked up, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is you bought, Rampage or, or you know, whatever. And you can just kind of take the game under control and... Uh, Go, go that route. 
I know as a ranger, I tend to use it like early mid game is kind of where I tend to naturally use a snapshot, uh, especially if my opponent has a champion out or if I guess the other way is if they bought something big like a Tyranor or something, or even a list that they bought early and I'm going to have some trouble dealing with right away. I will save it for that. But otherwise it's kind of like I have at least one bow in my disc or one arrow in my discard that I can draw. I can take out a champion if they have it, but I'm also getting another draw. So I'm getting two draws out of this card and it's going to let me really cycle my deck faster and get the better cards quicker. So early mid game is probably when I get the best value out of it. Totally agree. And the only times when I don't use it is if I don't need to. Like if I can buy everything I want, if I haven't needed to draw those two cards, then I just won't use it. Which happens sometimes, but usually it does. Usually you have an opportunity to use it. And if you... Even if you have two arrows in your discard, but you're you're drawing and doing all this stuff, and the way your deck works that, like, I don't really need to use this to get what I want done on this turn, then you don't want to use Agreed. it. Like, save it. And I have won games as a ranger where I never used my snapshot. So, I mean, it doesn't happen that often. I usually will use it at some point, but... It can. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think that's a great uh, overview of one of the stronger one-use abilities in the game, the snapshot. Why should you build such a thing? This is the Build Lab. Today, we are going to talk about the Ranger with a speed or aggro archetype for their build. So, um, Matt came up with this idea for this build, so I want to have him kind of say what he would do for if he were building a speed slash aggro build. What what do you have in mind for that, Matt? All right. Well, my favorite build for the Ranger right now in the current snapshot of, of the uh, meta is a Ranger with the um, Scry 4 Discard 3 track. And I think, is that the Flawless track? Or is that Instinctive? I believe so. Okay. Instinctive, I think, is the 3-2 track. I, I apologize for not having this in front of me. So the uh, track where you pay two gold, you scry four, and you can discard up to three and put whatever you don't discard back in any order on top of the deck. It costs two, but it's awesome. Uh, on top of this, I use the Endless Quiver, the uh, Crossbow, and the Hunter's Cloak upgrades for, for the Ranger. So this basically takes advantage of the scry discard uh, with the Quiver, uh, the crossbow helps you combo your arrows with your bows more often. And the Hunter's Cloak, which is my favorite uh, armor for the Ranger, gives you the versatility to either heal, which say no more, or uh, if you need that extra gold to spend on something, it can come in really handy. So 
in my opinion, this is the, really the speediest aggro. Maybe it might not be the most aggro because uh, I think you could make an argument that the bracers go even more so. But the um, extra uh, money and or healing from the Hunter's Cloak, in my opinion, really helps unlock the uh, different directions and versatility that, that the Ranger has. So I would say the build you described is my favorite Ranger build. That's what I enjoy playing the most. Uh, pretty much exactly what you said. I will say for a speed aggro build, I'm going to go with the one cost, three card, two discard track, and I'm going to go with the bracers for more aggro. If I were building the speediest, most aggro build I could, that's what I'm going to go with. Here we are in the final stretch of the episode where I'm going to go over a quick community roundup as of today, May 5th. By the time you hear this information on the podcast, some of the information may be outdated. First, let's talk about Tavern Brawl Season 2, the nine-week marathon extravaganza, which just ended recently. At the end of the regular season, we had Heroes of the Damned finishing in first place with a 7-2 record followed closely behind by Diamond Double Dubs and his Decepticons. These two teams advanced to the finals. In the finals, we had Diamond Double Dubs and his Decepticons emerging victorious 3-2 to two over Heroes of the Damned. Congratulations to everyone involved. Tim and I will be going over in-depth about all sorts of interesting statistics and even some player awards right before we do the draft for Season 3. So stay tuned for that. Next, I want to talk about the King of the Castle event, which is continuing with Dekatz's Meow as the reigning King of the Castle. His current streak sits at 14 challenges, and no one has been able to dethrone him. This week, Dusto steps up to the plate in his attempt to try to capture the throne. In other news, we also had the Highlander Series Lost Village Tournament, which just ended recently. We had Rucksack finishing first with a 5-0 record. Congratulations to Rucksack. We also had Horgel coming in in second place with a 4-1 record. He did very well as well. Rounding out the list of Finalists in this event, we had Noodle Tupe and Double Dubs coming in at third place. This was an extremely uh, challenging and also very interesting event that will continue on with the next series coming up soon. So stay tuned. Check out Discord for details on the Highlander series. In other community news, the Joust just recently finished. It was a great event. And the participants seem to enjoy it greatly. Heading into the final group stage, we had Rucksack, Zembu, Double Dubs, Agency 13, Noodle Tupe, Zembu, Chigmalinkpa, Darklighter, Dekatz's Meow, Horgle, 
and Silent Al, rounding out our ten players. The grand champion of the joust was Rucksack as a ranger. He defeated Zembu's thief in a best of seven final duel in this series. Congratulations to Rucksack once again on an impressive showing. If you want to see details on this, please check out the Joust channel on Discord. In other community news, we are also heading into the final stages of the Rangers Hero Realms Premiere Circuit Season 1. Hopefully we'll have some results there to report next time. Also, the Wizards Hero Realms Premiere Circuit has also just begun. So we have lots of community events running right now and even more details to follow after these events finish. And that wraps up this episode's Community Roundup. Okay, once again, friends and heroes of the realms, we find ourselves at the end of our episode. Uh, it felt good, Tim, to get back into the thick of things and really uh, talk in depth about uh, some of the deeper strategic and tactical aspects of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, we talked quite a bit so this went a little longer than we were planning so uh but it was a good discussion it was really good i think this was kind of the idea when when we said we were going to start this like you and i sitting here talking through all this sort of stuff was what we enjoyed so yeah and we hope you did too good and, to do that and just to let everybody know you know this is our fourth episode we've done one per week to kind of uh, initiate uh, the podcast, we had two really good, um, interview episodes with Ann Broser and Darwin. And this is kind of denotes a return to the quote unquote normal format that we had in mind. And we'll probably do this for at least a few episodes. Uh, you have a lot more fun things to look forward to in the future. Um, and, uh, Tim, I don't know if you've been following the uh, stats, but we have hit over 300 downloads oh, and nice. we are going to celebrate this momentous milestone by continuing to make more podcasts for you guys in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so you have uh, more fun in the sun and sparks and wreck to look forward to. Hope you had a good time, everybody and catch you next time. Made it to the end of the show. Congratulations. You're a nerd. Tune into the next episode of Sparks and Recreation for more on community events, meta analysis, and everything Hero Realms. Mm-hmm.